0: Welcome back. This is episode 18 of Books Closed.
1: This episode is sponsored by Feldman Manufacturing,
0: high quality handmade tattoo machines by Brandon Feldman, and Tattoo Smart, your resource for digital tattoo design tools. This week I got to sit down with one of my favorite tattooers and painters, Robert Ryan. I headed down to Asbury Park, New Jersey, where he tattoos at Electric Tattoo amongst a great crew of other talented tattooers. I think that this conversation speaks for itself, so I'm just going to go ahead and play it for you now. Have you ever had any formal art education?
1: Um, after I started tattooing, I took some courses on etching and screen printing. But before tattooing, no, self-taught.
0: Yeah. How art long brute.
1: <laughs> as they say
0: right yeah how how long into your tattooing was it before you started to seek that sort of situation
1: maybe about five years yeah i felt as though like um my paintings were starting to get a little bit like uh on a level where i felt stuff stuff was starting to happen artistically rather than just painting flash and i was like maybe i shouldn't explore like a different avenue um you know maybe that would expand what was going to happen in the paintings and stuff. So yeah, I took some courses, no no formal. It was, she's a really good teacher. Um, She teaches, you know, collegiate college academic um, printmaking and stuff like that, but it was a private course.
0: Mm -hmm. So did that stuff have an influence on your, on your tattoo work or your flash painting that you had hoped?
1: A little bit. It, It definitely made me deconstruct things in a different way, you know, you know, with like color separations from screen printing and like the different stages in, a, in in an etching, where you're using a different acid to pit the metal deeper. You know, there's a little bit more pre-production in it. So I think any kind, any time that there is pre-production in any kind of craft, it will help with the tattooing because I feel like that's a lot of tattooing that gets overlooked—the
0: work before the tattoo. Yeah, 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 because that's not the fun part. Yeah, there's no glory in the homework. No, until much later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I to me, it's my favorite part because you know now it is, but like you said, back then it was the the hardest part, and mm-hmm. the homework was what made you, what drove you crazy, and you had to cut yourself off from all your social connections and give up basically everything to pursue this. You know,
0: do you think that creative uh, outlets like art and music are they can be better learned inside or outside of a structured classroom setting, like an art school student, for example. Do you think that that's, that can be a preferable environment to, to cultivate creativity?
1: I think you can, prob- given the, the artist, you can excel at either. You know, um, I think a lot of people that do go to art school, it's probably not the right thing for them to do. And I think a lot of the people that go the self-trained route fail miserably, too. You know, um, I don't think one is better than the other, but I think each has its own suitable mechanism for each person.
0: Because I I went to music school and I feel like it made made me completely burnt out on music to the point that I haven't really played since then. How old were you? I mean, I went through, I, I got my bachelor's through it, but I was focused on music since I was, I started playing, I don't know how old I was when I took piano lessons, but I was single digits. And then I started playing drums when I was 10 and then pursued that all the way up through 22.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people burn out because they're not even old enough to comprehend what they're about to take on as like a lifelong commitment. Um, But yeah, I, I do think that the academic setting can definitely stifle people's creativity and take a lot of the fun out of it. But I think also certain people will excel in that. And I don't want to not like it, it'd be easy for me to be I'm a self-taught artist, you know. Fuck the schools, you know. It's like I'm not about that. I think a lot of people probably got way more out of going to school and being productive and learning like a a good system and like a, a proper work ethic.
0: I feel like it's almost like when you when you're in your early 20s or even younger and you're going to art school, for example, then it it might be hard to really understand what place in your career, your life, or your development that's truly playing and it might feel like it's more important or have more weight than it truly is when it's a, it's a stepping stone where you can get a lot of foundation, but it's not necessarily gonna be your anywhere near your end goal.
1: No, and I think people probably take too much stock that it might be. Yeah. You know, and I think it also I'm sure that it breeds like a culture of competitiveness that will definitely derail you in the pursuit of anything good in art
0: yeah you know jock painters yeah
1: totally (laughs) i mean yeah (laughs)
0: yeah and and i can feel a lot of that in tattooing as well it's easy to fall into comparing your other people's work to another or yourself to other people and it's almost like a small town thing i started tattooing in a small town and i felt like there was a lot of comparing myself to others and it wasn't really for the betterment of anything
1: no and it's also like trying to measure the immeasurable, you know, because it's such a, um, you know, a unique personal, uh, appreciation for what you might find is the right, you know, like what, what I think is a good painting, a lot of people might not, or what I might think is a great tattoo. A lot of people would probably tend to disagree with me, mm-hmm. um, on what makes a great tattoo, but I'm not saying that I'm right or they're wrong. And I, I don't think they should be doing the same thing, but yeah, like uh, anytime there's measurement involved in that i think it's kind of a waste of time
0: that can be probably a negative that people may point out about uh like a structured school setting for art because yeah. you you have to put a grade to something
1: sure yeah and there's critique yeah too and I, I feel like a lot of people will uh you know kind of exercise their egos through critique you know or it, receiving a, a good critique that might even boost their ego as well But in the actual critiquing, when, like, other students are critiquing other students' work, you know, people could probably be really vicious just as tattooers who critique other tattooers' work can be very vicious, too.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes because tattooers feel like the stakes are higher because it's permanent. You only get the one shot. It's not like a painting where if you fuck it up, then it's, you know, it's just another one behind you and you can move on and learn from it. Whereas a tattoo, you can obviously learn from every tattoo that you do, but... I think it's like more of a cutthroat attitude towards it.
1: Yeah, and I, I think there's some relevance to that, and I think that that's probably pretty important. You know, the stakes are higher. You know, that um, it's it's happening. You know, you're creating art, site specific art on the spot on people's bodies. So yeah, there is that kind of, um, you know, that raises the stakes a lot. But also, when you look at a great tattoo ten years later they all just kind of blend in anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, like.
0: Yeah, it's funny. If, if I do a tattoo that I really love and I remember and it's on a regular someone who I know is coming back and then you remember how great it was or how how happy you were after you did it or how you felt like you were successful in certain things and then you see it and it's just this little tattoo on someone sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's like the... it's um almost like a postpartum depression, you know, <laughs> or you're so proud. You've worked so hard, you know, you made it, you both made it together. You cry, you climb the mountain together. Yeah. And then you see it the next time and it's just dull and, uh, hair's growing back over it and it just blended in with all the other tattoos that they have. <laughs> yeah. It still looks great and it's cool. And it, it's, it, you know, but yeah, the, the love, we, we definitely, um, eternal, internalize that kind of experience that as we're doing it yeah I know I do too
0: yeah. right and they come back in and they like cut it with a rake when they were doing their yard work or something by accident yeah yeah
1: the, the doctor uh sewed it just right back at the seam you know, yeah or, or, as yeah. close as he could get it <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and that's why part of the weird thing of tattooing is the product that we get from it almost is just the photo as far as something that we can hold on to
1: yeah and that's changed a lot with having a, a camera in your pocket you know but uh I remember just the photo meant you might not even get that because you took a hundred pictures of a tattoo and none of them came out well or, you know, it just got – it was underexposed or, you know, or people just not even taking photos of their tattoos or great tattooers that wouldn't even take pictures of their stuff. But, yeah, you you just have the memory, you know, of the experience and, and, you know – I definitely have learned a lot about being around tattoos that I had done, like maybe someone who works at the shop and you see it and you see it age and, you know, you're reminded of it every day or maybe, you know, like uh, on on your husband or wife or, you know, brother or sister. When, when you have exposure to your work um, beyond just the photo, even you, you can learn a lot more about your own tattooing.
0: Even just catching a glimpse of it, like in context of moving, of movement, or in different scenarios, if you see it like peeking out from a sleeve or under someone's shirt or something, I feel like that's the stuff that I'm interested in. I love when my clients will tag me and stuff online, and then you see photos like them on a boat with their family. Yeah, and then so you just great. see the tattoo. You yeah, see yeah. it for real, like what it really is in context of the rest of the world around them. And that's a, st- and I'm always zooming in on it to try to look at it and everything. Yeah,
1: but you're not looking at it through a microscope, you know? Right. Or like, it's the same thing with music I found, like when, when you would record a song and then you'd mix the song and then you listen to it over and over and, and you just beat the life out of it, trying to get it to sound good, you'll never listen to it the same way. But then if it might come on accidentally or if you hear it in a different context, it's like a whole different experience. I feel tattooing is the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, like you spend so much intense focus on it that um, you'll never really look at it the same way
0: again. It's like when you're taking your driver's test, you're never going to drive like that again.
1: Hope
0: not. <laughs> <laughs> 10 and 2, 10 and 2. So as far as the, the imagery and the, the type of tattooing that you are doing now, how did you start to seek the, seek the knowledge and kind of get into something that I feel is a little bit different than what everyone else is doing?
1: Well, I, w- I was raised in an uh, atmosphere of occultism. My grandfather was a mason of a high degree, so he had a lot of, um, it, his house wasn't like multi-layered with occult imagery or anything like that. It didn't look like your modern tattoo shop does now. Um, it's, it, it, but he had stuff around, like curiosities that, you know, like an all-seeing eye or the three you know, interlocking rings. Or, you know, he, he collected, you know, like uh, Masonic images. So I'd always, through him, had kind of this interest in the Western occult belief. And then at in my teenage years, I got into um, Eastern philosophy and Hinduism, and I always loved the artwork, but it was before I was even painting, you know, and uh, it was before I was tattooing, so I never thought that I would be able to make those kind of paintings. So once I was able to get a little bit of chops up painting, I started trying to, my hand, at like trying to paint the pantheon of Hindu gods and stuff like that, and continue to, and then... Obviously, once you start painting them, people start getting them tattooed. Um, It kind of was like painting flash, but I was kind of doing them a little bit more large scale. But I tried to, like, mix a little bit of the Western, traditional American approach to these Eastern images a long time ago. And that kind of took off a little bit for me. And um, I don't want to say I was the first person to do that, but I was definitely doing it for as long as I've been tattooing, you know, like some of my first sets of Flash from the late 90s were like uh, Ganesh's and stuff like that. And I, I definitely had was influenced by Higgs. He was kind of like coaching me along to to paint that stuff. But yeah, I'd always had like a, a deep interest and love for that stuff. And it just kind of learning how to tattoo and learning how to paint kind of got me able to pursue that, that route of art in my personal life.
0: Your work to me, it comes across as very well-informed and like an educated take on on otherwise visually simple imagery sometimes. And as far as symbolism goes, I feel like a lot of tattooers uh, will, will curate different symbolism and things that we see and kind of emulate it, but not always know really what it's all about
1: something that struck me really early on is like seeing the guys who were doing the large scale Japanese work and knowing the ones who knew the background of it. It really made a huge difference. Mm. It it was like, I didn't quite know what it was that, that made it different until I started talking to a lot of those guys and the guys who had the background in it and had knew the source, their work was just so much more powerful to me. And so I tried to, to use that with the Eastern you know, the Hindu and the Sanatana Dharma kind of images. And even with the Western esoteric, I try not to like push tattoos on people that I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, I feel like it's, I feel cheap doing it. And uh, um, if someone wants me to do a tattoo of like a biblical person who I'm not well, in, well that I don't know, I'm fine doing that as a commission. Mm-hmm. But for my own designs and if it's, you know, like, something that I'm gonna to present to the world. I wanna at least have a background and know what I'm doing.
0: You know? Do you find that a lot of, of your customers that choose that sort of imagery are in the know about it? Some of them are.
1: I, I would say it's about half. You know, half just like think it's cool images. And I think when I first was getting that stuff tattooed on me, like maybe my fourth or fifth tattoo was Lord Shiva and I didn't know much about that any of the um the history or, you know, any of the the kind of ideas of that deity. But I thought it looked cool, you know, so, and uh, I knew there was something to it. So I, I like that in a lot of the esoteric images for the collector's point of view, because even a lot of the traditional American stuff, like I'd look at it and not know anything about, you know, like a lot of the military stuff, I had no idea what the background of that was, but I knew it was like, there's some some power going on there, you know, like the, the, some powerful platoon that's slaughtered thousands of millions of people, or like a, you know, like a, or just like th- these these were brought home from like serious conflicts and wars, and um, you know these these are coming from times where people, you know, felt the need to express something, and um, yeah, I, d- I didn't know a lot of the background, but I knew I liked it, but uh, it, it's definitely uh you're you're definitely interacting in a different way um when, when the people do have the background and it it clicks a little bit easier and um
0: i feel like it's almost step one to just identify that you're drawn to a certain type of image and then that will probably inspire you to look into it more i'm sure when if someone doesn't understand or, or know the background of an image that they're getting tattooed from you they, they probably will ask you or i'm sure you're happy to tell them and explain some of the background of that stuff
1: yeah it makes for excellent uh tattoo banter you know and it's like you're not talking about like what's the craziest tattoo you've ever done or you know (laughs) how long you've been doing this or you know where's the craziest place you ever put one yeah so it gives you definitely a a different route in uh you know in verbal communication and then it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier too um about like album covers you know like uh at dinner, we were talking about just like uh, satanic music and like being drawn to it by like the Iron Maiden album covers. Like you know, there's going to be something potent in that album when you see Eddie, you know. And I feel like a lot of like traditional tattoos had that power too.
0: And that's why I feel like the band Kiss is such a letdown because you expect them to be some dark satanic heavy music, and it's just not. It's party rock. <laughs> it's total. <laughs> it's
1: total party rock. And I, I trust me, I, I did like I had the Kiss posters on my wall as like a nine-year-old before I had ever heard a song. Yeah. And when I heard like, you know, I want to rock and roll all night, I was definitely like, oh, that's pretty plain. It's pretty safe. You know, even as a kid, I wanted wanted like to hear probably what Venom would be playing. Right. You know, or something like that.
0: Yeah. And that same day you were in the bathroom with a single tear dripping from your eye, rubbing all your cat makeup off your face (laughs) because you'll never be the drummer of Kiss like you thought you would be when you grew up. That's,
1: that sounds a little bit too familiar.
0: I mean, I've, I've never experienced that or anything, but. But which Peter Chris were you? That's true. That's true. I was, I was probably a later one cause I'm just a little, I'm a little kid. So w- when someone chooses an image that they may not understand, do you think that there's more than just them identifying that they like it and getting it? Is there like more of a connection you think that's actually happening?
1: I think so. I think with anything, you know, like, uh. The same way people choose the kind of clothes that they wear, or the kind of music that they listen to, or the kind of food they like. I think there's an intrinsic uh, attraction to certain things that someone has experienced from way beyond, and not just that day that they walked in the tattoo shop and picked a, a woody woodpecker. You know.
0: Yeah. So thinking back to when you were first starting to tattoo, what was your lifestyle lifestyle like then compared to now? Like a snapshot in time to compare.
1: I was like a reluctant tattooer. People were trying to push me into tattooing and I didn't want to want to start tattooing because I was enjoying my life as a complete dirtbag. You know, like I just w- enjoyed being like a, you know, playing in bands and like just hanging out and going to shows and uh, getting stoned all the time and stuff. And like,
0: when even tattooing seems too structured for your life, it
1: was, and <laughs> but because I was around such good tattooers, I was around guys like Mike Schweiger and Tom Yak, and um, you know, so you know, meeting some some pretty heavyweight tattooers at a young age, knowing the amount of work they put into it, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for that, right? You know, and which then which is probably
0: the opposite that a lot of people just think, like, oh, I can just jump into this and do it, yeah, so for you to ter- understand was, the weight of it before you even start is probably the opposite yeah, of a lot of people.
1: I was terrified to start not because i would like mess something up just that i would be terrible at it um that i wouldn't do the tattoo world any kind of justice you know like there, everything was in such high regard like people were fighting about Spaulding rogers starter kits you know and like how you know how tattooing was becoming commercialized then mm-hmm. you know and like it was such you know like I remember hearing about guys, like, uh, shredding the catalogs before they put them in the garbage because other tattooers would sh- go through their garbage to get, like, information and stuff like that. Everything was held in such high regard that I just didn't want to betray that.
0: Was that really happening or was that paranoia, you think? I think
1: it was complete paranoia, you yeah. know? Maybe. Who knows? But I'm sure maybe it happened once, you know? But uh, <laughs> Right. right <you> know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so everything was held in such secret and such high regard. And there was such as like a, a respect. Like, I remember I started working the floor for Mike and his partner, Jim Heaney. And, uh, I didn't know shit. And I, somebody came in with a tattoo from another shop in the area and I, I just kind of started dogging it, you know, cause it wasn't good. And I was like, Oh yeah, you know, we'll fix that up when it's healed next year, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, those guys tore me up after the person left and they're like first of all you're making you're making the person feel dumb you don't do that and you never say anything bad about another tattooer and i was like wow you know and like mm. and i would hear them say terrible things about other tattooers all the time but in the confidence you know of the closed shop never right. in front of customers it was just like that kind of professional respect that was given to each person so yeah th- there was definitely like such a high standard i didn't want to betray that Plus I was lazy and 21 and 20 and I just like, I don't know, had arrested development and wanted to be like Peter Pan, you know?
0: <laughs> so what changed?
1: I got into a little bit of legal trouble that kind of like snapped me out of it. It was nothing really serious, but I was like seeing like the cautionary tale unfolding that I could become like, uh, you know, spending more time in jail as an adult than out of jail or something like that. Yeah. And, um, And I just started to become, you know, a little bit more confident with the art that I was making at the time. And uh, just like having some people that I really had a high regard for, like really kind of encouraged me to start tattooing and like just kind of like, all right, if these guys are telling me I should start, I should probably listen.
0: So you had a good support system then?
1: I had a great support system, probably one of the best, you know.
0: Yeah. And which is another thing that sounds opposite from a lot of people.
1: Yeah, you get a lot of people just kind of discouraging people from starting tattooing right now. Yeah. Yeah, I had no one discouraging me at all. And I would hear them discourage other people, so I think that might have kind of... So you were
0: just the right person.
1: I was the right person, yeah. And they probably just wanted me to stop grubbing money off them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you had know, this
0: kid to make a living once and for so all. Start
1: pulling your own weight around these parts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, that's probably... A, very unlike any story that I've heard as far as people getting started in tattooing.
1: Yeah. I was like Jonah, you know, like uh Jonah chose to jump into the belly of the whale rather than to become it. <laughs> you know, I was kind of doing that. I was like choosing just the backstroke through life meaninglessly when I, whenever I was really having this, like the lotto was right there and I mm-hmm. could have taken it. So I, I, that is, you know, people ask me any, so it was funny. A customer asked me the other day, it was so funny. how I said, it. how long have you been tattooing? I was like, about 21 years. And he's like, any regrets? And I was like, yeah, that I didn't start sooner. <laughs> Cause I, you know, I wasted a couple years. So yeah. Could have been, been honing it in. You know? I'd be that much better now if I had started two years earlier. You know, I don't know if it really works like that, but
0: yeah, I don't know. I mean, they do say that when, and, and this is different because it's more of like a developmental thing, but they don't start kids or earlier in like orchestra or band in school because at a certain age or up to a certain age, they can't actually get much out of it. So to start a year or two earlier than fourth or fifth grade, when they usually start that stuff, it doesn't do anything at all. Just probably makes them not like it.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's almost too much too soon. Yeah. Like I remember, the, my one of my first couple of years of tattooing, I went out to San Francisco to the Chris Kahn seminar about drawing pen ups and stuff, and I didn't get shit out of it because <laughs> it was just so far. Be, I mean, right. It was it was so cool. Yeah. But it, I didn't get out of it what I could have today. Yeah, you were still trying
1: to figure out how to draw a rose. Right. Not a, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, not even like it's, <laughs> it, which is too bad because I think back to it and I had like little scribbled notes, but I'm sure I was notating stuff that didn't really matter because I was picking out all the wrong things and. But that's what I love about going through old uh, reference books and stuff is that every time I look at stuff now, even the books that I looked at a million times in my first couple years of tattooing, you you see so many different things in different ways and it's like a brand new book all over again.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that myself too because you start to not see the shiny object as much as like you start to see the foundation and you kind of see like, oh, maybe he was going for this instead, you know, like... there's a different way of deconstructing things as you become more familiar with the process, for sure.
0: Yeah, you all know, the tricks kind of melt away, and you see the the stuff that still interests you after all the time.
1: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: This week we're sponsored by Tattoo Smart, a marketplace for forward-thinking tools to tattooers, artists, and designers, empowering them to learn new digital skills and improve their design workflows. They collaborate with tattooers to create brush sets for Procreate and Clip Studio Paint, reference eBooks, digital color tools like the Abbott color wheel, and design and software tutorials. Tattoo Smart gives you the tools to speed up the process of conceptualizing and rendering time-consuming elements, allowing you to spend more time focusing on the composition of your tattoo design. You can check out all of the Tattoo Smart tools and tutorials at tattoosmart.com. And while you're there, do not miss The newest brush set for Procreate and Clip Studio Paint called Watch and Compass by Matt Brumello. Featuring 102 stamp brushes of pocket watches, compasses, watch faces, numerals, gears, chains, compass roses, and more. Matt created this brush set to make your design process faster and save you from drawing endless concentric circles and ovals. And if you tattoo as many pocket watches and compasses as I do, you're pretty excited right now. So head on over, check it out at tattoosmart.com and make sure when you're checking out, use discount code BOOKSCLOSED for 15% off any tools on the site, one use per customer. That's discount code BOOKSCLOSED for 15% off on tattoosmart.com. This week we're sponsored by Brandon Feldman Tattoo Machines. Handmade coil and rotary machines made with love and intention. That's not his tagline, but I think it's true. Brandon hand makes every part of his machines himself, and if you're concerned with keeping the magic in tattooing, there's definitely some magic in these machines. After talking a bit to him in a conversation that I probably should have recorded, because it was pretty funny, I learned that Brandon Feldman, in addition to tattooing and building machines, is an actual engineer. He's got a lot of knowledge, experience, and opinions on what makes a great tattoo machine. I've been using one of his machines lately to line a bunch of tattoos, and I can't say enough good things about it, it runs smoothly and efficiently, and I don't have to crank the voltage to find that sweet spot where the lines just dance into the skin. If you're looking for that one little piece of equipment you're missing that will make you actually a good tattooer, these machines might be the ones. Give them a try. Check out Brandon Feldman Machines at feldmanmfg.com. That's F-E-L-D-M-A-N M-F-G.com, And on Instagram at Brandon Feldman. And that's at B-R-A-N-D-Y-N Feldman. Brandon with the Y. So would you say from the start you were kind of on, on a path to to developing or or at first were you just focused on street shop style tattooing? You just wanted to be good and solid and get your technique and everything?
1: I was forced to do that stuff. I was never very good at it. I was good at doing kanji. I could do like 15 kanji a day, no problem mm-hmm. and fast and solid. but like when it came to doing like tribal, I st- my focus was still so far out of whack I would just like rush through it and just like have holidays and stuff in it and like um, and it, the, I, the love wasn't coming through in a lot of that stuff, you yeah. know because partially the clientele, I was working in uh, on the Jersey Shore when tattooing was still illegal in New York City. And most of our clients in the summertime were from New York City, so they hadn't even seen a tattoo shop before. Mm. You know, some of these like guys from like outside the city didn't know anything about any of the underground shops there. And we were in the left hand. If you were facing our shop, people would pull from the right lane, making a left turn, and cut people off when they saw the tattoo shop. I saw like so many almost accidents just because, like, oh my god, there's a tattoo shop. And it was so busy and it was the height of like tribal and kanji and lower back tattoos. So I got really good at doing those, but like I was really, I I just wanted to do American traditional tattoos and like also like my own designs, but I didn't want to be a prima donna either, you know? So I tried to be there for the clients and they probably should have just passed on me and have the other guys do it. But (laughs) I, I did learn like to tattoo with cherry Creek flash and, you know try to make them kind of look like they did on the wall and uh you know there was JD Crow and stuff but we also had good flash on the wall so and there were you know being around the music scene people were getting tons of cool traditional tattoos from the get go so yeah um i did learn in a street shop environment and taught me to be efficient um i don't know if it taught me to be proficient <laughs> you know, like in a lot of ways i think a lot of stuff came later
0: yeah i've always felt like i my purpose as a tattooer has always been to try to just be good at everything. But the more that time passes, I feel like maybe I'm ready to not be that person anymore.
1: Yeah. I, I I gave that up a while ago. I mean, I, I can do some stuff that is outside my wheelhouse because I know how to do a tattoo. But that being said, uh, I definitely feel like I can do a better job in what I'm comfortable doing. And, uh, you know i wouldn't want to go get an italian meal by a guy who cooks vietnamese food you know it's like
0: yeah i feel
1: like uh yeah it's good to be well-rounded especially when you're learning but i think you should maybe choose what you're going to pursue and, and try to go as deep as possible with that
0: yeah and i guess to further the food comparison it's like being a diner cook where you're just like doing good enough version of everything Right. And it's convincing and people like it and they're going to keep coming back to get it. But no, you're not going to win awards for your diner food necessarily.
1: I've heard Scott Harrison said nobody congratulates the guy at Dunkin' Donuts for making all the Dunkin' Donuts look exactly the same. <laughs> you know. And it's true. you know. It's like, yeah, yeah he does a great job. But um, yeah, if you want to maybe get a little bit more out of it, maybe pursue what, what's going to resonate more with you and what you're going to love doing for the rest of your life.
0: I never wanted to be the the person who turned something or, or turned my nose up to something. But I think I'm realizing you don't have to turn your nose up to something to not do it.
1: No, no, not at all. You can put them in the better person's chair for the yeah. job and feel great about it, you know, and know they're going to get the tattoo that they're going to love. Not be so self-absorbed to think that you have to be the one to do it. Right. And, uh, you know, I think everyone's going to be happier in the end that way.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, I think in the past, maybe I saw it as like an arrogance thing almost where I did too. I, I just do this I, stuff. But truly, it's the opposite of arrogance if you're doing something you really can get behind. Yeah, the, I think there's
1: humility in being able to like take a step down and be like, I don't think I can do that as well as the person that's sitting right there that's mm-hmm. not doing anything right now. You're going to wait two weeks for me to do it and I'm not going to do as good of a job. You should just get it from that, that person. Yeah, I, I think that's important for people to learn. Humility, I think, is probably one of the foundations of tattooing like it's a very humbling craft you know especially when you're learning it and i think anybody that doesn't have a stitch of humility in tattooing is just kind of swimming against the stream you know
0: how do you think it will it would fare for someone who has no humility
1: they might be able to excel at it but i think they're going to be an empty vessel of what they have to offer. You know, I think, you know, you'll, you'll find, you can find enough people to blow smoke up your ass and tell you that you're great. Even when you aren't, you know, I've seen it, I've had it done to me. I've seen it happen to other people. Um, I think you're never going to grow. You're never going to expand. You're never going to get to the essence of what you might be looking for out of a craft. If you don't have the humility to like humble yourself before it.
0: Yeah. I think sometimes the, the, Humility comes later, or something has to happen where you can see yourself in a more true light, which is probably the hardest part about everything, life outside of tattooing. Yeah. Being self-aware.
1: Yeah, 100%. But I think with tattooing, you're walking this weird kind of tightrope because you have to have confidence, because that's the other, you know, like, even worse than having no humility is having no confidence. If you have no confidence as a tattooer, you should just stop and Mm -hmm. quit, you know, because you have to be at least... have enough confidence that the customer that's in your chair feels comfortable sitting there, you know, like, and that you can at least pull this job off to your best ability.
0: Yeah. How long did it take you to feel confident as a tattooer?
1: Um, I, I experienced some confidence within like year three. I did a couple good tattoos. I was like, all right. And then I switched to the Chinese pre-made needles, you know, because at that time we were either making them or we were getting them from someone who made them very well. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, like four years in, I switched over, maybe five years in, I switched over to these pre-made needles and I had like a two-year slide down shit mountain and like every tattoo I did, I hated and were like super weak because I just couldn't figure out like how ha- to tattoo with these things. You You're know? just fighting your equipment every time. I was fighting my equipment every day and that there might have been some lack of humility there. Like I thought I knew what I was doing and it was just like whatever, you know, but... I look at it now, I was like, oh, that's the years where I was trying to, like, relearn how to tattoo because I was completely changed everything, you know?
0: Those needles were that bad, huh?
1: Oh, I, me in cahoots with bad needles, you know, like my, you know, I think, you know, like I said, I, I hit a confident peak where I did some good tattoos for years in, and then I thought I knew what I was doing, and I could just switch needles, and I, I wasn't at that point, you know, I should have just, like, kept making them myself, and not been lazy.
0: Right. You know? And what a luxury now that you could start tattooing today, and you've got access to all the greatest stuff ever.
1: Yeah, they're much. But the pre-made needles now are way better than the pre-made needles we were getting ten years ago, and probably way better than the needles that I was trying to make twenty years ago. You know. Um, but yeah, it's nice. It's a blessing. Everyone talks about when I used to. You know, like I'm not pontificating here, saying like when I was a kid, it was like uh, thank God that I can get a open a package of needles and it's a good needle you know
0: but there's something to being on that quest where you have to troubleshoot where you can learn
1: i still do that you know for sure you know and I, i feel like you get to a point where you have to start streamlining too it's like i don't need all this stuff and all this everything new that comes out every week and so you just get to what you comfortably use and stick with that
0: so i wanted to talk to you because i know that we're both musicians or at least i used to be Mm-hmm. And I've always I've always felt a lot of parallels between tattooing and music because I don't have any formal art education. Everything I know has been through tattooing and learning from my peers and people have been tattooed by and everything. But the, the further I get into it, uh, I feel a lot of parallels, and, and I'm sure there are many well-documented cases of that. But it was interesting. In the past year or two, I've loosened my grip as far as letting myself have hobbies or interests outside of tattooing again. Mm-hmm. And so I started playing music a little just for fun for the first time in my life without focusing or trying to go to college for it or whatever, and just actually enjoying playing music, which has been pretty fun. Um, but I feel like I'm a better musician even taking 10 years off from it because I can see it differently and I can see, I don't know, I can, I can enjoy it and see it for what it is, but I also the, uh, just the philosophies that I've learned through tattooing as far as simplicity and not overdoing it. And not everything's a guitar solo and and everything like that. I feel like comes through and it makes me more comfortable and and able to, to get into music again. Do you feel anything like that?
1: I agree 100% man. It's like, I've learned so much about other things from learning how to tattoo and being a tattooer. music. Definitely one of them. Um, Meditation. Like, um, I talk to people that are in, in the group that I meditate with and like people that are in my, like what was considered a sangha and the people I know who come to that group who are tattooers always excel because they can sit for long periods of time. Their focus is like razor sharp, you know, and they can kind of uh, not be distracted by a lot of the external noise and stuff like that. So Uh, I think with music too, it's like, like you said, the foundations, like, uh, recording and, um, and writing music, I've, I've learned a lot because of my experience tattooing. I think, um, I used to compartmentalize all that stuff, you know, like this was for tattooing, this was for music, this was for art, this was for my spiritual practice, whatever. Um, now I try to kind of treat it as one whole kind of thing, you know, and, uh, And not that I'm like trying to sell, you know, uh, my records through tattooing or vice versa, you know, but like um, I I just think that it's all kind of like one movement through your life and it doesn't need to be put into little packages or.
0: Yeah, I think when you hit that stride, when you can kind of explore all these different things authentically Mm -hmm. and do it, do it the way you want to do it. And maybe that comes with finally being able to tattoo the way that you would prefer to do. And focusing on the stuff that does it then it is going to be kind of you know in, in different types of relationships with the other interests
1: yeah yeah like a, uh, I i think a good example of that is the guys who learn um you know maybe like virtuoso guitar players or like virtuoso horn players a good example is like people that play free jazz like the guys who are really great at playing that like modal um you know off time kind of stretched out jazz music are the guys who learn the standards first. And the same thing with tattooing, you know, the guys who do the great like weirdo kind of morph crazy tattoo art are the guys who can really apply solid tattoos to begin with, Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I think, you know, you can say that for just about anything. Like um, tattooing definitely teaches you a foundation and a structure and, uh, operating within a certain set of rules that if you deviate from it will not
0: work, you know? Yeah. And I always felt limited in my music life and there's me compartmentalizing my music for my, my tattooing, mm-hmm. but um, I, I always felt a lack of looseness that, that always bothered me. And I was always jealous of my peers in school who were great jazz drummers and they were just loose and they could get into it and they could jam and they could just, they could, do it, and it actually looked fun, mm-hmm. where for me, I felt like I had to like grind my brain for every single note, and it never came across as like natural, yeah, like I was a great uh sight reader, I could read anything off the page, but i- I didn't really play off the page very well. I could keep time as if I was playing drum kit, but it was like I was never loose, I was never ripping drum solos and i've and I've felt the same way in tattooing for a lot of years where I've just been struggling to like break into a, a comfort lo- like a comfort zone or a comfort level.
1: Mhm. Yeah, I I see that like um in a lot of people's work. You're seeing this, stu- you know, now so many people are so good like never before. I'm seeing tattoos that never could have been done the, the same way 15 years ago by even some of the best tattooers, you know. And it's guys who have been tattooing 2 3 years but I'm also seeing tons of, like, s- like this incredible work, but you fall asleep looking at it. You know, it's got no ass to it. There's no tooth in it. There's no, like, there's no oomph behind it. There's no base. There's, it's just, like, it's missing all the values that give anything life. And I think that same with, like, loosening up, you know. Like, when you're, when you're concerned with, like, making your tattoo look like the same sticker that every other tattooer is making at the same time, it's not going to have that life. And then I looked, you know, I'd see Dan's Higgs's work or I'd look at Ed Hardy's work and it'd just be, there'd be so much life into it because they weren't hung up on every single hair and zit in the tattoo. And it just like, I don't know, it was like really like power broken, you know? And like, I feel like if you're, if you're trying to like, you know, pull the expression out of the tattoo you need to kind of let a lot of that stuff fall off to the side, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the technical stuff. Not all the technical stuff. It still has to look good, you know, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to, you know, any great painting, you know, you look at any Picasso painting, it's not, like, concerned with each stroke. You know, it's the gesture that makes the, the power, you know, and it's like, you know, the, the the entire painting, the makeup of the entire painting is is the experience. Right.
0: And I think that's also part of the struggle that a lot of people have who are just replicating things that they see. Is that they, you can see the energy in it, and you want to try to possess the same power. But how do you get there? It's, it's tough. Yeah. Tough yeah. for me. Yeah, it's tough
1: for a lot of people. It's tough for me too, for sure. You know, but I do know that I knew I do know what it takes that to be able to get that. You know, I don't always hit it. You know, but when mm-hmm. when I when I can like let all that stuff fall down and just like try to like, just let the, the tattoo come through, you know, that then it's going to, you can definitely like, um, what would you say? Cultivate that power.
0: So as far as your meditation goes, Mm -hmm. um, meditation is something that I've been interested in for a while, but I've never really learned much about it. And whenever people tell me that they're into meditating, I always feel like I ask a bunch of questions. Um, so how long have you been focused on meditation?
1: Um, solidly for the last 10 years yeah and uh i practice mantra medication mantra meditation and uh um and also silent meditation but mostly mantra meditation and what is that exactly so mantra meditation you're using um a series of vowels or um words to create a, a garland of um repetitive sound vibrations and it's one way that you can focus your mind where you know what the next thought is going to be you know you keep chanting the same thing over and over again there's no like you're not like looking for the next thing it it's it creates an anchor and um an internal anchor so you can do it out loud when you're when you're sitting by yourself and then you can continue to bring that mantra with you Enchanted internally when you're tattooing, or when you're even having a conversation, or when you're just walking, stuff like that. Mm. So the hum, you know, from a mantra can remain with you throughout the course of your day, throughout the course of your life. You
0: know? So is is the mantra an an actual meaning behind what you're saying, or is it more of like a sensation?
1: There's different ones. There's ones called bija mantras, which are seed syllables, and each um, deity in the in the Dharma that I'm following has a, a seed mantra, but it, a lot of it's just um, kind of the energy of the vowel, you know, like i or hrim or cream. These are all be syllables. Then there's other like long form mantras where you're singing the glories of a great God or um, the aspects of a certain part of divinity, or you can be asking for something or you can be chanting for something that like a, uh, You know, to alleviate an illness or, uh, you know, focus your mind or, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that you could pursue through the chanting
0: mantras. And then as far as silent meditation goes, is Mm -hmm. that just what it sounds like?
1: Yeah. You know, you're just focusing your mind maybe on a a single point or uh, um, you can be doing an internal kind of dialogue, but usually it's just like a, a clearing of the mind coming to a point of clear light, you know, through, through silence and through like usually closing your eyes.
0: And how has meditation affected you, you as a person and like your relationships and your, your ability to to focus on work and everything?
1: It's helped me a lot in, in all aspects, you know, um, the days that I do have a solid practice, I can definitely get into doing a tattoo much easier. I can, um, you know, socialize with the people I work with a lot better and maintain my relationship in a better way. And on the days that I'm slacking, I do notice that I'm a little bit more on edge, you know, and it's like you become sensitive to a lot of these things when you do start meditating. And if, you know, now after 10 years, I do notice a lot more like when I can be irritable or something like that. It's usually in the times that I'm not having my practice or I'm not living up to the sadhana that I'm normally maintaining.
0: It's almost like a curse when you're that aware. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not a I mean not a curse in the sense that you know what you have to do to to maybe balance things out a little bit more, but I think it's a sensitivity for sure, yeah. you
1: know. It's just like um after you've seen or read a good book or seen a good movie or heard a good song, all those bad songs don't really have the same kind of impact as they did before, you know.
0: Yeah. Do you believe in aliens? I do. What <laughs> Anyway. enough <laughs> no yeah i do i believe in aliens are they little green people who come down from the from space or the, what
1: form of aliens the, i mean i i think they could be i think that you know i think there's lumerians that live inside mount shasta i've never seen one but i just kind of believe that they are there you know um i think that you know i think there's a I know I'm not, I'm saying I think I know that there's entities that live in other dimensions because I've seen them because I've been to other dimensions but as far as little green guys I'm not sure to some people I'm sure they have seen them I've heard a theory that those the the grays the guys with the big eyes and stuff that's a, from like a, a, a impression of have of being born you know like cuz the doctor has his mouth covered so you don't see the mouth and you see these big eyes and it's the first thing that you see when you come out of the womb. To me that's a viable explanation too. Mm-hmm. But so is some extraterrestrial coming down from a different planet. I'm not sure, you know, but I tend to believe that there is universes within universes within universes within these two points of these two fingers, you know, that things are existing in there that I can't see so why wouldn't there be little green guys or little gray guys or lizard people that run the country?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that one's for a whole nother show. I don't believe that that's
1: the fact. (laughs) I just think that guy's an asshole.
0: (laughs) So how does one travel, uh, between dimensions?
1: I have traveled between dimensions through meditation, through the use of certain kind of plants that I dieted in the jungle in Peru. Um, ayahuasca being one of them. Um, I've, those two things there. um, I've heard accounts of them through saints, living saints in India, you know? So there's different, you know, I've I've had different kind of interactions with these things. I've heard different stories. I've had shared experiences with other people that have seen the same thing. Um, There's a history of these different entities that live I think the plants all have spirits too which I've seen. Yeah, I think that there's other other dimensions that we our limited perception can't see and when you heighten that perception it becomes aware to you that yeah we're surrounded by all kinds of different things that we have no idea what what it is even is and we can't even interact with them.
0: So what is the ayahuasca experience like?
1: It's um you know, I'll, I'll talk about it because it's become pretty popular these days. You know, um, I've, I've been working with that medicine for the last 11, 12 years. And um, the experience is a, a experience of cleansing and healing. You're drinking a plant that you're um, basically, it's also an alchemic experience. You know, this plant's created... Very far away from where we are right now, deep in the jungles, sometimes Peru, sometimes Brazil, other parts of the world, um, through a process that has been passed down orally between shamans and um, you know their teachers and their masters, and um, and you have it inside you. And those teachers and masters will be singing songs where that medicine is, is having a reaction inside of you. So in that way, it's like an alchemic thing is happening. Like this thing is, is moving through your body in different ways. And the songs that are occurring outside of your body in this ayahuasca ceremony are making all these things happen in your consciousness. And the plant, I believe the plant is, is a soul. And it's a feminine soul. And she starts expressing different kinds of wisdom, teachings, sometimes shame, you know, sometimes judgment, you know. But you're experiencing a a point of view through a plant. And as you can imagine, that's very intense, you know, because the plants have been here much longer than we have. So there's a whole different vocabulary. There's a whole different point of view There's a whole different realm of realization that this plant can share with you if you're open to receive it. Some people just have horrifying experiences and see their worst fears and their worst aspects of themselves because it can do that too. Mm -hmm. But for me, for the most part, this plant has shared so much information with me, like huge downloads, these massive downloads of information that just like I didn't even – I'm still kind of dealing with years later, you know?
0: I mean, couldn't you say that these the, the sorts of things you experience are just with inside of you?
1: Yeah, yeah, but I think that that it the ayahuasca acts as a catalyst so you can process those things in a way that you've never been able to process them before, specifically things that you've been trying to avoid processing, like things that you've been trying to keep down, you know, deep, suppressive kind of things, things that you might have been ashamed of, things that you've possibly have shut out of yourself without even knowing. You know, I've had a lot of things come from my childhood that like, oh my God, I forgot all about that. I was being terrible to this person, you know, or I was like acting terribly, or I was, you know, this person was acting terribly towards me, or this is a way I could have dealt with this situation so much better, you know, and it's like, there are these different kind of examples, but, there is something that's coming from that isn't inside of you as well. Like I'm seeing things that I've never seen before, you know, that other people have seen when they drink the plant too, you know, you know, I've been taken to realms to, to places that I haven't been to in this life, you know, like to ancient Egyptian pyramid ceremonies, you know, where I've seen, you know, like the uh, Anubis doing like the weighing of the feather and the heart. You know, like, like, like it was happening as you were in front of me right now, you know? So you're seeing things like that. I saw Jesus get off the cross, climb down off the cross and embrace Adolf Hitler and forgive him for the sins of World War II. You know, like you see things like that, you know? Like, I, read,
0: I read that part of the Bible. I know. Yeah. I
1: know. <laughs> it's apocryphal. They they cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I don't want to get too far out because like trying, it's like trying to describe your dreams to people. Right. You know what I mean? Like it could diminish anything that maybe I've, I I have experienced and it's also not going to make a lot of sense to a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm sure some people have experiences that they can relate to that sort of thing with.
1: Yeah. And, but the, the thing I can really stress and I would like to stress is that that plant has a spirit and you can interact with it while she's inside of you. And that's amazing you know
0: well if you didn't want to get too far out i think
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I I was cool talking about like uh whip shading and seven max (laughs) right
0: right well the the more i'm sitting down with people who i'm interested to talk about with like i mean honestly the last thing i want to talk to you about is tattooing most of the time anyway because that's i don't want to say it's the least interesting thing about you but i feel like there's so many more things about you that i could learn from personally
1: uh, well, that's something about like tattoo shops that I always loved. You know, going to a tattoo shop when I first started going to them had very, very little to do with tattooing. It was the magnet for freak show activity at its best. You know, it was just a carnival of insane people, you know, and like, or even sane people, but just the kind of people I had never met before. And they were all kind of like, entwined in this world of this, these silly pictures, you know, and I loved it. You know, it was just like, I, I do think like a, a properly put together well-intended tattoo shop can really be a magnet for some very cool activity.
0: Yeah. And like you say, sane people, I think are acting in a way that they never act anywhere else. Yeah. And that's yeah, what's cool. Yeah, about it. It's yeah, just yeah. that instant, like you're people, so right about that. Yeah. People are just stripped down. Yeah. Like all, you know, the defense is everything because they trust you yeah. when you're tattooing them. They just trust you. And someone who's very well put together and well-mannered and everything, they can say some pretty out there stuff in the moment, you know, right? Yeah. B- if they're super nervous right before you're about to start, they they might say some heinous shit to you.
1: Yeah. It, it's amazing. It, there's you know, so many
0: moments you can think back to.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hunter, you're so right about that. It's such a good point because like. You know, some people say therapy, Uh, you know, you you guys are like, and it's like, no, it's not even really like that. It's just, it's like real raw Mm kind of, you know, it's like in between therapy, magic and a bar, you know, like all those same kind of things where people are just confessing things that like, why are you telling me this right now? You know, but they just feel vulnerable, you know?
0: Yeah, paired with, like, the trust you'd have for a doctor or something like that, which yeah. you don't really experience in, in any other venue. And that's, like, a private thing that you're not usually going to share. So to mix that trust and that vulnerability with the honesty uh, and informality of a bar, yeah. you know, that's yeah, yeah it's 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 pretty like crazy. A, 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 like a clown doctor.
1: Right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like, you might not tell your doctor, you know, that you're having an affair, but they'll tell us that right before they start mm-hmm. your tattoo, you know, like I'm getting my girlfriend's name, but I've been cheating on her for the last two years. Like, why are you telling me this right now? Right.
0: <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. And and it's funny, this, this type of stuff people will tell you like that, where they think that they're going to impress you with it, or that you're going to be like, hell yeah, dude, cheating on your girlfriend, man. Sick. Yeah. I'm like, I got to go
1: take a shower.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like people will assume about you that- maybe they're more alike to you than they think, but really like we're offended that they think that they're like us in in ways like that. I know. Like you really think I'm a piece of
1: shit too. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The, the assumptions in the tattoo shop are usually off the chart,
0: but I love that too. I I, I love being not what people expect.
1: I know it drives them crazy too. There's so
0: many different ways you can do it. But I feel like lately is people will look up and they're like, you're doing my tattoo. And it's like, now I'm the weirdo. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) just because for whatever reason maybe visually i'm not what they expect because i don't have like a mohawk or i'm not like a steampunk or something
1: a vest and a a, like a a timepiece hanging from your pocket or something right right like that's
0: what they that's the experience that they were promised
1: (laughs) i feel so bad for them (laughs) (laughs) i know i know yeah i think a lot of people like to be fooled i know i do sometimes you know Mm -hmm. like uh, you know yeah, I want, I want the doctor that's going to be the most doctor, doctor. You know what I mean? Like, you, you have the expectations, you know, and when you meet, I remember uh, Sailor Eddie. When I, when I met Sailor Eddie for the first time, I thought Sailor Eddie was going to be, you know, like right off the boat, you know? Mm-hmm. But really, he's just a badass dude from New Jersey that can put on a fucking awesome tattoo, and he had nothing to do with me. He, he inherited the name from his grandfather, but I there's a whole other picture in my mind of this, you know?
0: right. You picture him lugging an anchor around just in case he's got to set his <laughs> shit down somewhere.
1: Exactly. Yeah, he had like rope over his shoulder, you know, and like a you know in his dress blues or whatever. But you know, he he rolled up on a motorcycle and he was ready to fucking tat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I'm thinking back to like weird instances where people are just too honest or too open with virtually a stranger, but they trust you because you're like drawing a picture on them that they'll have forever. And I had a guy come in and he brought his. His wife came in, and then I tattooed him again a couple of weeks later, and he had a different woman with him. And then she left, and he's like, "Yeah, that's my girlfriend. We're and, and I want to get her tattooed in a couple of weeks. We're gonna get something together or whatever." I was just like rolling my eyes at it, and like, "Okay, whatever." But that that was a good lesson to learn that you should never acknowledge a person that was with your client in a previous session. Oh man. Yeah. Cause yeah. You know the kind of people who you tattoo over a span of years and they've got a different girlfriend or boyfriend every time. And you don't want to be like, Oh yeah. You still working at that place that you work working. They're like, what? That- <laughs> I've never <laughs> that worked wasn't there you? and
1: we've never met before. <laughs> who are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. You have to juggle your customer's social, you know, like yeah. uh,
0: infractions. Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm so bad with names that I, I fear addressing people by name anyway. So it's just like, there's no hope in doing that with people that I'm just marginally familiar with anyway. <laughs> Cause it'll usually end poorly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You fucked everything up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> at the shop I started at, we did piercing there and we, we didn't have a floor person or anything. So we'd all like kind of help each other out and dole out uh, release forms and stuff. And I remember this, this guy came in with his daughter or so I thought, and I handed him the parental consent piercing form to get his daughter's nose pierced or whatever. And he's like, that's my wife. And I looked at her and I looked at him and even knowing that she wasn't as young as she looked like it, I wasn't convinced. And I was like, do you have an ID? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you had an insult to injury, <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: But it, it's, I don't know. I've learned a lot about being a human from tattooing I, yeah. v- virtually everything I know about it.
1: Yeah. I don't want to like inflate it too much, but we're in the trenches of humanity at yeah. all times. And uh, it's one of the things I love about it, but it's one of the things that, exhausts me at the end of every
0: day too and it depends on the day because some people the weight of them is too much but other people the weight of them is the best part about them yeah yeah i don't know sometimes i feel like i would enjoy being a psychologist because it's kind of fun to work through stuff but a good psychologist probably doesn't view it as a fun pastime
1: (laughs) (laughs) i had a blast today at therapy yeah Person cried for three hours. Yeah, and paid it. for it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got them to think about all the stuff that their parents did to them that they never even consider. Now they're fucked up for a month. Yeah, yeah, I,
1: I know. Like, I think I think I've helped people when I've tattooed them. Sometimes I, I know there's probably some people that I have probably just confused and made things way worse, too, <laughs> and offered some very poor advice in the process. You know, but I think for the most part people do are in a vulnerable place and whether they even realize it or not, they do start making these kind of confessions or start getting stuff out. And like, I'm not getting paid to be a therapist. I don't necessarily want to be a therapist, but I'm happy to listen, you know, and if it's going to make the tattoo experience go by faster and they're going to get something out of it. Yeah. I'm happy to lend an ear and hopefully some sort of guidance, I guess. I don't know. Mm
0: -hmm. Have you found that as your, I guess, your popularity as a tattooer has grown? Has your client, the type of clientele you get, is it different now?
1: I've always been blessed with a pretty cool clientele. Like I, I'm not just saying that because I'm speaking publicly right now. I'm trying to like, shill for more clients. Like <laughs> You want to be cool? <laughs> um, but I've I, I really, like man, I've, I've tattooed some really awesome people. And even in a day and age where tattooing has become like pretty vanilla and like uh, most people have tattoos now and kind of middle of the road. Um, I still get tons of great freaks, you know, and I love them, you know, and like people that, that are, I mean, if you're getting one of my tattoos from me, chances are there's going to be something going on with you. You know, I don't know, like you're going to be into something weird, probably weirder than anything I'm into. so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was just wonder because a lot of times if people's clientele shifts into like the tattoo collector world. Yeah. Sometimes,
1: yeah, some I get some like sneaker people that just you know want to get the Robert Ryan tattoo along with next to the Chad Coplinger tattoo and yeah. the Mario Dessa tattoo. You know, and it's like mm. those are great too. They're great and great tattoos, and they're usually cool people and they're well traveled and they know great places to eat and stuff like that.
0: And. Mm. That's fine. Um, but all they want to talk about is tattoos. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> but, but it's, but like you get it cause that's their chance. You yeah, know, obviously they've found some value in what you do and they want to know what you think about certain stuff. It's just that they're, they're so interested in tattoos where I feel like we we're so focused on it. We just want to talk about other stuff.
1: Sure. And like, think, think about like when I first got into tattooing, uh, tattooing was like my gateway into all these different worlds of cool stuff. Like, I wouldn't ever drink ayahuasca because of, unless I knew another tattooer who brought me to it. A lot of music I found out through uh, through tattooing. So maybe that, you know, maybe meeting all these people, they'll have an influence too. But I think when people first start collecting, it's just like, uh, you know, it's like sticker collecting or sneaker collecting or anything else like that, toy collecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even art collectors, you know, like they're, you know, there's nothing i i've met some of the most shallow people who are just art collectors you know like you would think that they'd be interesting they have these great collections of art and they're just like
0: you know well isn't isn't art collecting the most shallow thing by definition i think it is at like when it's at a high level not someone yeah. who just buys stuff they like but like real high money collections
1: yeah th- then you're just a, a commodities dealer you know
0: yeah I mean that's a whole discussion the the way that that cheapens the actual intention of art and everything.
1: It's so sad that it's become that, that way you know because the same people that have made a mockery of religion are the same people that are making a mockery of art in the same manner you know it's just being treated like you know when I say religion, I mean spirituality you know but um or art you know or music same way when music became commodified it definitely had it had stripped it of a lot of its true essence and i think the same thing's really happening to a, a pandemic amount now with in the art world it's out of fucking control like with all these art auctions and shit it's hmm. just it's gone bonkers
0: how could it ever be fixed Start
1: buying art from people that don't want to make millions and billions of dollars just to make art, you know.
0: Yeah, and it would it would be hard as an artist to stay true to anything if you know that okay, I got to paint this thing; it's going to be at auction for a million dollars, right?
1: Yeah, well, I, th- that's one thing. I don't know how many people are are painting things that are going to be a million dollars, but well, it's all re-
0: you know, relatively
1: speaking. Okay, yeah, because I'm thinking of guys who are commissioning other people to. Engineer them a shark to cut into three pieces and put in a tank and suspend from a a ceiling that's going to be $500 million, you know, at some Christie's auction. Um, Which, hey, you know, if if that's what you're into, that's fine. But I think that says a lot for the times that we're living in, you know, like how art is kind of an amplification of the times that we're living in. I think that those, the way art being dealt and handled and collected right now, I'm not talking about tattoo art. I'm talking about the fine arts um, is a good example of where we are in, as a society.
0: Well, when people are focused on excess and having the most and the most, mm-hmm. and I feel like if you're, in, if you're in that upper echelon where you have more money than you could even, you can't even boast about it because you're just so beyond like what, what amount you have, what that even means. And if your peers are in the same boat, then how do you get a leg up? you you get things that are one of a kind or things that are more special deemed by whatever social shit is attached to it. Right. But it's also a double edged sword because even though they're bastardizing the whole intention of art, you could say it's still supporting artists to a level. Right.
1: Right. Well, the, the museums would not be open if it wasn't for the donors, you know, and there's a donor class in art and there's always been that there's always been art patrons, Mm-hmm But I think somewhere down the line it turned into this thing where it's like, no, now you just become like day traders and commodities traders and you have no intrinsic connection to the art that you're buying or you're not even appreciating it. You know, there's like, you know, art consultants that go out and tell people what kind of art they should buy. Most of the time those consultants have their own collections and by, like, having these huge collectors buy stuff who don't know dick about art, they just want to buy things, it's increasing the value of these consultants' collections, too. It's a rigged system. Right. You know? Like real estate. Yeah, it's 100%. Yeah. Yeah, you, you you encourage people to buy in the areas that you're from, you know, or where you own property, and you drive the value up. The same thing with, like, opening the guy who opens the Amazon plant, you know, the owner, at he owns land there. So he just wants to drive the, vol- The, you know, he could have opened that. He could open Amazon in any destitute city in the rust belt and save it. Instead, mm-hmm. he ch- chooses to open it in a place where he has a skin in the game.
0: But that's how they get in the position to own Amazon plants. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing is a, is a coincidence, I guess, with people like that.
1: Yeah. And you know, I shop on Amazon all the time. I I'm sure. supporting the system, but you know, it's you see that it just like the way these things are rigged, it's just so far removed from the art, you know? And I think, you know, to kind of circle it back to tattooing, um Oh yeah, this is a tattoo podcast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and like I'm talking about the art world, like I know it. <laughs>
0: but so we're uh, just two guys in a room talking (laughs) shit. I mean, that's all this is. I saw this
1: in a documentary, (laughs) (laughs) but now for real, like with tattooing, it's the same thing as when you remove the, the craft or the art, you know, it's like a tattoo convention. The great tattoo conventions are curated tattoo conventions that aren't concerned with anything, but the tattooers and the people that are getting tattooed there the terrible ones are the ones that are concerned with all the other stuff,
0: you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And I feel
1: that's like what the art fairs are, are kind of are too, you know?
0: But is that part of a society who doesn't appreciate art as much as it could? So you need to attract the extra people who wouldn't necessarily show up just for the core art stuff. Good point. I don't know. Cause I mean, that's, that's the, the battle I think you'd have planning at tattoo convention. You know, like the way that Taki does it, it's, it works in San Francisco, but would that work everywhere? Maybe not. Maybe not.
1: Um, I think any tattoo convention where you have a stack of great tattooers is always going to do well, you know? Yeah. And especially if you went pound for pound, if you put like the art villains, you know, or like whatever, you know, the, you know, suspended sideshow convention next to that convention, I bet you the, the good tattooer convention would be just as well attended if not better
0: attended you know yeah but that's all i think a symptom of the way that people are able to follow tattooers work and and really revere people who are tattooing at a higher level
1: yeah that's the beauty of all this like a a lot of the the things that many of us me and you whoever else um might see as a negative thing about collecting and uh people are so much more informed now you know yeah and I mean it, man. Like, I, I hope I never come off as jaded because I love tattooing and I love what I do. And I love seeing, like, the work that's coming out now is fucking amazing. I, I think it's incredible. Like, these, these guys are doing such good work. And they're people that I never had heard of, you know. And they're blowing my mind. And, like, I'm really happy that tattooing's gone that way, you know. For all the bullshit that goes along with it, I think that the cream rises to the top. In a lot of a lot of cases you know
0: well I, I i've always thought through the fog of all the the weird shit that happens to tattooing that you particularly to me make it still seem cool
1: oh thanks that's a huge compliment thank
0: you yeah through your work and, and just as a person too so thank you keep it cool <laughs> thank you sweet thank you to robert ryan for being on the show this week You can get tattooed by him at Electric Tattoo in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Follow him on Instagram at robertryan323 and follow the shop at electrictattooNJ. That's N-J as in New Jersey. You can follow me at Andrew Stortz, S-T-O-R-T-Z. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It just takes a second for you and it has a huge impact on how other people are able to find the show one last big thank you to this week's sponsors Tattoo Smart and Brandon Feldman Tattoo Machines. If you want to learn more about Books Closed, check out our website at booksclosedpodcast.com There you'll find show notes about all past episodes, videos, merch, and more. And I'll see you all back here next week for a follow-up on an episode that we did earlier in the season.
1: And uh, my wife goes, so uh, I'm watching this video on YouTube about you right now.
0: <laughs> and I'm like, oh Yeah. You definitely don't want to miss it.